and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, the policy, the politics that drive Texas today. I'm your co-host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and my other co-host uh, is, uh, or I guess the other co-host, is uh, is Derek Cohen, our Vice President of Policy. Uh, we're here every week talking about all the things that drive Texas politics. Uh, but first, Derek, how are, how are things going? Uh, can't complain. Can't complain. It's obviously starting to get in that, that busy season, and we're starting to see... Uh, hearings across the board, and tonight's the state of the state, so we're probably going to be hearing uh, what the emergency items are. And we're going to get into that for sure. I think that's on the minds of everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might be the one, you know, this might be the one that everybody listens to or watches online, because uh, I think there's there's going to be a really historic session this year. So this is this is kind of one of the big inflection points uh, uh, for that. But first, I just want to say I want to admit that my Super Bowl pick was wrong, mm-hmm. that you, in fact, were correct. Patrick Mahomes did his thing. Um, so we didn't have a bet going or anything, but at least I wanted to admit my defeat. Well, I, I appreciate it. It takes, it takes a big man to admit when he knows absolutely nothing about sports and another <laughs> one to graciously take credit. Um, all, all joking aside, um, what a great Super Bowl, though. Yeah, I mean, right? I thought, I thought the, the on-field... Uh, the on-field action was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, obviously we're going. To, it's going to redound to a discussion about that holding call at the end, mm-hmm. which even the holder had cop to. They admitted to it. Yeah, yeah but you know, the, the discussion is then. You know, are we going to get to a place where, you know, how, how do I want to put this? That that one Ricky tick foul. I mean, there was. If that would have gone unheeded, I think that that would yeah. have been justifiable as well. But you know. The Philadelphia fans are out there, and unfortunately, the three of them that listen to the pod are probably not going to like this. <laughs> but they're out there saying, oh, that 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 right there cost them the game completely um, without taking into account where they were on the field, what the clock situation was, or the fact that they hadn't done anything in the second half. Well, I think we both watched enough sports to know that like, the, it never comes down to just that one play. If yeah. they had done something else, you know, first half or whatever. But nevertheless... Um, Don't leave it to the refs. Despite despite knowing nothing about sports, apparently. Um, so I, I did. <laughs> I definitely picked the wrong one. And I feel even worse because I, I am at least a, a somewhat um, a, a fair-weather Cowboys fan. So um, nevertheless. All right, well, moving on uh, to the real issues that we want to chat about. But first, I have to do a little shameless self-promotion. Um, again, we do really enjoy... Enjoy getting your feedback. If you want to hear about specific issues, uh, we want to keep in touch with you. Uh, Derek and I are both on Twitter, fairly active out there. I'm at RealBFill uh, on Twitter, and Derek is at Cohen at TPPF. So you can find us on Twitter. Tell us you like the show, don't like the show, or yell at us for our terrible opinions, hot takes, and bad jokes. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll pitch is uh, we've got a weekly newsletter that we that we spend a lot of time on. Make sure that it's interesting and, and engaging for folks. It's not just, you know, we're not just pitching a bunch of different products. Um, uh, we do like to spend a lot of time on it. We'd love you to share it with you. Uh, you can sign up for that uh, n- uh, weekly newsletter at texaspolicy.com slash the post. It's called The Post, and it's kind of a, a recap of kind of things that are going on in the world, uh, in, particularly in Texas for the week. Uh, it's got some exclusive commentary, some exclusive uh, pr- uh, products on there. Um, and then the last thing that I'll pitch, which is very exciting, uh, that, that we've started over the last couple of weeks is a new video product that we call The Layout. And in that video product, we're um, asking members to come into the studio, to come over to TPPF, and they've got seven minutes to essentially lay out their legislation. And so we know we're going to talk about, you know, in the you know in the media and in various places, the top issues, property tax or you know school choice or what have you. Uh, but there's a lot of really important legislation that go 
goes uh, that goes really unnoticed. I mean, they do have robust debates about it, but sometimes the public doesn't catch on um, until the last minute. And so we're offering uh, any member, right, left, center, Republican, Democrat, whoever, uh, if they want to come over and talk about their bills, uh, you know, they come over and really, you know, get into the nitty gritty of those details. Anyway, it's on our YouTube channel. We've got a playlist there. It's called The Layout. Again, we've got several episodes. We've already got several more episodes that we've already recorded and that we've planned. Um, and so we think it's going to be a really interesting product, particularly for the news junkies and the political junkies uh, that tend to, to watch this show. Um, all right. So uh, going through the show, uh, we're obviously going to we're, we're going to do in depth this time. Our, our one issue that we kind of go in depth um, is going to be a healthcare issue. This issue of price transparency and, and surprise billing. It's something that is a is um, that people get very angry about. And so uh, the Texas legislature is looking to do something on that issue. So we'll kind of go in depth about the ins and outs of that policy. Um, we will talk about a few items on top topics. Um, there's a new lawsuit from the attorney general that just popped yesterday. Uh, we'll maybe get into some presidential politics because there's some some uh, current events happening there. Uh, but of course, first for our our viewers, we will get into Derek's Ledgeland update. State of the state going on tonight. Let's talk about what we think the priority is going to be. Well, again, I think just going off of what was already said in public, that the governor is really going to elevate the need for um, parental empowerment in education. I think that has been uh, one of, if not the most consistent theme of his uh, of this term of his governorship. He has gotten out in front. He's shown great leadership on that. Uh, and we're starting to see folks in the other chambers, you know, following suit. Um, I think there's also going to be a lot of talk about border security. Um, you know, we've been dealing with this issue down at the border since even before the Biden administration. Obviously, it's gotten much worse given the the, the lax attention that it's received during the Biden administration. But this is not a, a, a new problem. Uh, but we're, you know, we're expand, expanding uh, some of the solutions that might be brought to bear, and hopefully we'll hear some some new uh, leadership on that mm -hmm. uh, tonight as well. Uh, and I think another major issue is public safety. You know, there is a lot that can be done in public safety, both in the criminal justice system and outside the criminal justice system, tangentially applying even public safety to some of the schools, which again is a whole sub, a whole unique subset. Mm -hmm. All that to say is, I think we're actually going to see a state of the state that's focused on the issues that matter the most to Texans. We're not going to see hearing aids. We're not going to see resort fees as big as as, as those issues loom so large. In the American zeitgeist, uh, I just don't think uh, Governor Abbott's going to have time to address those tonight. And we don't have the um, the, uh, um, the issue of of you know member you know right and left members standing up and applauding every five minutes or whatever. Right. It's really not going to happen at this event because um, the the governor's not giving the speech at the Capitol. Uh, he's giving it uh, down in San Marcos. I think highlighting a business down there, maybe potentially highlighting you know the Texas economy mm. and all that. But even if when it's at the Capitol, you know it's much more of a of a of a respectful um, conversation or, or you know speech, uh, and you don't have that constant you know Absolutely. back and forth. So so it only lasts about half an hour, maybe you know forty five minutes tops. So it's totally digestible uh, for for viewers. So let's get you know into the issues. I mean, you mentioned kind of the top three um, uh, that are there. You know, parent empowerment, um, uh, the border, and and you know Texans. These are the top three issues for them. I mean, we pull this stuff all the time. Clearly, border security and immigration um, is going to be a real issue. You know, I'll. I'll 
I'll be honest. I, I think the governor's been pretty aggressive in terms of like what we can legally do mm. at the border. Uh, I'm interested to know if maybe he or his lawyers or others, you know, have looked at to see what other steps we can take, um, uh, you know, as as a state that we can legally take in order to protect the border mm. and really to some extent, you know, pick a fight with with the Biden administration. You know, if they think that you know overstepping bounds or separation of power issues or that kind of thing, because I think we, we need to elevate this issue that mm. that you know it's very clear that the Biden administration has uh, abdicated its responsibility there uh, at the border as well. So, uh, any but they did come out with an app for for asylees to sign up in. So well, so problem solved. Great. Maybe they'll have an app for people to to uh, to submit complaints about human trafficking and drug trafficking. I'm sure it'll work as well as all the other apps they've launched. Um, any issues under the radar? I mean, you mentioned you know public safety, but of course you know Uvalde and school safety is a is a really big issue. You know, half of what we spend our money on is you know part is schools and healthcare, mm-hmm. right? And so um, you know healthcare. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show, mm-hmm. but I think healthcare gets short shrift. Sometimes, and so I'm curious to to see um, if if healthcare issues come up, particularly affordability right. and 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 accessibility. What do you think? Well, you know, we mentioned last last week on here, uh, really talking about the the approach that the House specifically has been taking in in creating a package of a package of bills that doesn't necessarily you know, work on expanding and tracting Medicaid or, you know, engaging in this trench warfare that, you know, the left and the right has been engaged in for the last, mm-hmm. you know, 12 plus years. What it focuses on is really saying, okay, if Medicaid exists, how do we make it the most effective government program, the most efficient government program? And for those uneligible, rather than getting people more people on a broken program, what can we do to uh, ease their access to health care? Not health coverage necessarily, mm-hmm. but health care. And there, you know, there's several ideas that have been floating out there. Our own David Ballad has uh, championed many of them. We have a lot of strong champions, both in the House and in the Senate. Whether we're talking uh, Chairman Tom Oliverson, Chairman James Frank, um, Stephanie Click, uh, Lois Colcourse, the list goes on and on. There's many champions in the healthcare space. And to be honest with you, by really refining it down to these in the weeds policy discussion versus I'm pro Obamacare, I'm an anti Obamacare. Right, right. It's actually talking about bills that can pass and work that can be done as opposed to just things that just suck oxygen out mm-hmm. of the room. And anyway, you know, another thing to point out, hopefully we'll uh, get to this as well. If you look at the lieutenant governor's priorities, which mm-hmm. were also released, uh, that which he reserved the top 30 bill numbers for, we really see a focus on affecting that which affects Texans mm-hmm. and not so much on the symbolic symbolic arguments of years past. Right, say. exactly. And I also think, you know, just broadly, uh, conservatives have a real opportunity to take the mantle on health care. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one of those issues going back to Bill Clinton and Hillary Care and then Obama and Obamacare. It's, you know, uh, Republicans for, for you know, whether it's a legitimate criticism or not, and I think in some ways it is a legitimate criticism, mm-hmm. um, have really just been the party of no when it yes. comes to health care. That they, they, you know, our talking points are always about, you know, waving a magic wand and free market magic and then <laughs> and then everybody will get health care and of course that's not the case and, and, and right under our in, under our noses for the last 20 years the left has been systematically using government to take over one-sixth of the entire economy which is our healthcare industry and we really uh, had dropped the ball I think conservatives dropped the ball on taking a forceful aggressive proactive stand on on actual health care reform well, when you when you take your ball and go home you abandon the field of ideas so there's mm-hmm. really nothing that you can contribute to that debate if all you're going to be doing is putting your 
fingers in your ears and stomping and yelling no all the time. So maybe we'll see uh, something like that. Um, I did want to, I mean, it's a good segue into the lieutenant governor's uh, priorities as well. I did want to mention that, that that happened on Monday, and that is another major, major mm-hmm. inflection point uh, for this legislative session. Um, I would, you know, I, I'm sort of new to Texas uh, le- legislative, um, you know, session and all of that. Only been really working and looking at it for the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really cool dynamic is that the lieutenant governor puts out, you know, the first 30 bills. Mm-hmm. And so this really sets the tone that these are the things that are, are his priorities mm-hmm. um, and the things that he's going to, you know, put a lot of, of muscle into. Um, that's a really that's a really cool dynamic. I'm not sure. I'm sure it probably happens to some degree in other mm-hmm. states. Um, but what does this really say? I mean, is there any anything on the on the list that uh, you think we necessarily need to highlight that may, may come as a surprise to some people? Well, I was about to say, uh, almost all 30 of them, are, I think, are, are uh, worthy of discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, w- I will say, though, and the one thing I would like to point out is look at the Venn diagram between what we're going to hear tonight or what we're likely going to hear tonight. Uh, these 30 and as well as what the Speaker of the House has uh, both said publicly and said, say, in um, his inaugural address uh, during uh, the governor, lieutenant governor's inauguration, is there is surprise, I, 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 dare sh- I dare say almost shocking level of overlap on some of this. Mm-hmm. You know, usually there's, and it's going to happen this year as well, that there's going to be some intercameral dispute about something. <laughs> But but I also saw both uh, Chairman Burroughs and uh, the lieutenant governor having said on Twitter that they're already working very closely together and that they're 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 collaborating. And that's you know, it's never too early for that. But the fact that it's happening at that level this early in Mm -hmm. session, I think, really speaks volumes for the viability of each of these 30 items. Now, Mm -hmm. now, SB1, the state budget, I think pretty sure that's going to pass. <laughs> now, that's that's not exactly a hot take. You know, that's not exactly uh, but you know. So what you're saying, it, you're saying legislators want to spend money is what you're saying. Is that, b- believe I mean, it or news, not. Breaking news. Not only do they want to do it once, they want to do it twice and then a supplemental one for the money that we didn't spend all of uh, the last time. For, oh, the 30 billion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but all, all that to say is, you know, those are elements of the budget process. I will say, though, for uh, for SB1 and SB30, they, you know, they're doing a good job of keeping the, the, the spending under control or mm-hmm. keeping it under the conservative Texas budget. So that deserves great praise. Um, and to quote the lieutenant governor, don't spend it all. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, know, well I, know, I guess this is the problem to have, right? Mm. You know, some of the discussions out there, especially with the scope of what the property tax relief is going to be. There's multiple methods of that. We can uh, do the homestead exemption, which uh, the lieutenant governor um, refers to in uh, SB3, which would raise the exemption to 70000 basically meaning that is uh, untouchable value of your home when it comes to uh, the assessment of taxes. Mm-hmm. And then we also have, and SB4 then says, additional property tax relief. Now, what form that comes in, I guess we'll see. But if it's in a form of compression, you know, we actually have it set up currently under our various spending caps that money put towards that could actually count as spending. Mm. So we are limited in how much we actually can do there by our actual statutory and constitutional spending caps. But that being said, the fact that there's two avenues and two items of focus for property, right. uh, not, not property tax reform, property tax relief. Cuts, yeah. Yeah, being, being uh, you and know, that's a real foremost. Su- and the one you mentioned is the real, real, substance to, real substantive and philosophical debate about whether or not mm-hmm. giving people their money back mm-hmm. would count as spending yeah, so in the same way that spending 
spending on you know transportation or spending mm-hmm. on education or teacher salaries or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, more conservatives would consider you know that that's not necessarily considered spending to give the people their money back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really kind of you know I think the legislatures in some ways their hands are tied mm-hmm. because of the technical definitions mm-hmm. right about yes. about how they have to um, you know bust the caps or something mm-hmm. you know they they have that d- d- debate all the time. Is is that going to be something that's going to that's going to derail not derail but at least they're going to have to work through something like that in order to get to the property tax cuts? Oh, it's definitely going to be part of the discussion. There's no two ways about that just because there is so much available. And again, I, there is also, I, I appreciate the Lieutenant Governor's reticence on spending it all, even if on, you know, property tax relief and stuff mm-hmm. that everybody, you know, j- widely agrees upon, even though the there's a little bit of disagreement on the, on the process. It, it's going to come up. Uh, I think you are going to see, even see some proposals. I, I think that the, I, I hesitate, I Advise caution, though, mm-hmm. because this does create a bit of a political quandary. And what do you do when, you know, you're providing, you know, historic property tax relief, which should be lauded. But in doing so, you have voted to bust a spending cap that you've not only passed yourself, mm-hmm. but have really that you've, you know, really championed in the past. And obviously, like you said, it's, it's a lot more obfuscated than just simply spending money to do that. But the way it works, though, is because it holds harmless the locals who are, let's be, I mean, we've said on this uh, program prior, you know, the locals are largely to blame with the profligate spending in many of these, uh, many of these areas. So simply using state revenue to offset uh, local drunken sailorness, we'll call it, <laughs> does, that's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, with the usual caveat that drunken sailors spend their own money. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But that, that creates a bit of a moral hazard, though. Mm-hmm. And so what's the incentive then for the locals to practice fiscal restraint outside of the, the revenue limits that they already have with all the limitations on those limits we've already discussed? Right. Um, anything else on the state of the state or the uh, or the uh, governor's or lieutenant governor's priorities that w- that you think we need to 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 hit? Um, you know, obviously, I think you know that that we've talked about the the, the gender modification of children. We talked about mm-hmm. that last time. Um, that's now a priority issue. I mean, that that's how fast that issue has exploded uh, around the country. Mm-hmm. Is that now? You know, I, I admittedly was sort of a fringe issue even last session, mm-hmm. uh, but now it's a it's a priority um, uh, for for the lieutenant governor. What does that say? Well, I, I think it just it. I think that reflects the the general will of, of Texans there, and you know we don't need to go into the debate about that particular sure. bill because you mentioned the some of the other products that we have as far as the layout. We're going to have uh, one of those coming out here shortly, mm-hmm. uh, describing the, that particular space, uh, highlighting the work that uh, doctors Oliverson and Campbell have done in this area, which mm-hmm. has just been uh, fantastic in terms of leadership. But this, you know. People understand now, and I think people didn't understand last session, that this practice, especially on minors, is very problematic. You know, when you prescribe puberty-blocking hormones to a child approaching puberty, it's not just, you're not just delaying the traditional pubescent development. You're dealing with a lot of other internal systems that are hit on by the endocrinology of of the average teenager. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those issues where... The people that have done this for a lot longer than us, the Europeans, uh, the British, they're all running the other way saying right. we are absolutely done. Right. 
Um, and, you know, frankly, if I, you know, I know Andrew <laughs> loves to say that, you know, if you're, if you're approaching a cave and there's a bunch of people running out saying, don't go in there, you know, it's, it, it's almost like the red Should button, but you don't want to go in Should there. Should be a warning. And, and then yeah. when you add to that issue, the issue of <clears throat> social media and minors and mm. potentially putting age restrictions or parental approvals uh, on social media. And then, of course, you know, the, the inappropriate materials mm. that are getting in the classrooms. You know, I heard somebody say, which I just love, uh, it's, a, it's a great message. If you want to sum up this legislative session, uh, you know, we're looking at, at property tax cuts, empowering parents and protecting kids. And mm. so if you look at, I think, the lieutenant governor's list, you know, that's a good Venn diagram uh, mm-hmm. for, for a lot of the pieces that are on there. Um, all right. Well, let's get to, because uh, I, I definitely want to get to our topic in depth and talk about <clears throat> healthcare price transparency. It's a it's a, it, it's a great issue, I think, that frankly is bipartisan. So it's not even something that has a huge left-right debate. So I want to get save some time for that. But I did want to hit a couple of other issues, top topics in the news. Uh, yesterday, the, the Texas uh, Attorney General, Ken Paxton, uh, officially sued the Biden administration trying to block the implementation of the recent omnibus bill that was passed in um, in Congress last year. The omnibus bill is the big spending bill where, you know, everybody throws in everything they possibly can at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And because we're all busy, you know, putting up our Christmas lights and opening presents, uh, it passes um, it passes uh, it passes Congress without much debate. Now, it turns out that a lot of the members were apparently back at their house um, putting up Christmas lights and opening presents uh, on the day of the vote. Uh, and and the Constitution is very clear that that there must be a quorum uh, in, in Congress, particularly in this case in the U.S. House. Mm-hmm. There must be a quorum in there for them to even take a vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was not the case. And most of the members, I think over half of the members, voted by proxy, so to speak. Um, and so he is challenging. And full disclosure, tech, uh, TBPF is, is on this lawsuit as well. We have filed uh, uh, with, the, with the attorney general. Um, we have filed to challenge this, to mm-hmm. challenge the implementation of the omnibus bill. And we won't go through the parade of horribles that's in there. Mm-hmm. But what do you think of this, this, mm-hmm. uh, this um, legal concept and, and challenging uh, you know, the, 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 the quorum call, essentially, and then, and then, and then blocking the implementation of this massive spending bill. Well, I think, you know, first of all, I'd like to say that you'd figure that the uh, the, par- the party in power, um, uh, you know, back in uh, December would be a little more cognizant of uh, quorum counts, uh, just given kind of the recent history that we've all experienced. Um, but I, I'll, I'll say is, you know, this is one of the things where the pretext for allowing proxy voting or allowing remote voting was COVID, which had been, (laughs) even at that point, you know, out of the White House and out of the uh, legislature, or out out of Congress, I should say, had already been declared, you know, a a thing of the past, or at the very least, acknowledgement that we're in the endemic phase, not the pandemic phase. I mean, literally, Joe Biden said the pandemic is over, and that was like on 60 Minutes last year sometime. Exactly. And, And so... If that's the case, then I'm sorry, then go earn your $180,000 a year by going and doing your job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of the things where I think that it, it, there, there's, two, there's two questions here. And I, and I think that was the question that we are asking and that the attorney general is asking is, was this omnibus bill passed in, uh, you know, in still still under passed correctly under the current law and i and i obviously i think that answer is is no but the bigger problem here is just the way federal budgeting has been working specifically through congress that there's essentially six or seven different spending bills whether we're talking about the farm bill or nda you know all these things that, that deal with a lot of money 
We have all these different processes. They all go through different committees, and we have no unified control over that. Not, not the deficit spending that we've that's been going on for decades mm-hmm. is obviously problematic as well. But in and of itself is we are so dysfunctional when it comes to spending. You know, folks on the right will make a will make a whole bunch of hay over, you know, a, a fifteen hundred dollar hammer or you know upside down toilet seat and for the Air Force and stuff like that. But our own you know our own legislators that we send to do uh, to transact our business don't insist on the structural reforms that we actually see that allows us to happen. Right. And so we've been outside of the congressional order. Uh, I'm sorry, out of the constitutional order of Congress for decades, you know, and I, I mean that for decades going at least back to the 90s on the major things and, you know, even farther on other things as well. And there's no push. I shouldn't say there's no push. There's very little efforts outside of those of ver- certain members who are died in the wool constitutionalists mm-hmm. to get us back to any semblance of that. Yeah, I saw, I, during this debate, I heard um, at least one statistic. I th- I'm pretty sure uh, there, there are usually 12 appropriations bills that mm-hmm. fund uh, various departments like uh, the DOJ or you know Veterans or Veterans Affairs and Defense and so on. Uh, I believe you're, you're, you're right. I think it's like 93 or 94 was the last time that we actually had separate votes mm-hmm. um, on each of these uh, uh, appropriations bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do that strategically. To your point, they do that. In, uh, they, it's an all or nothing, mm-hmm. right? So they they load all these bills up with a bunch of stuff that most you know Republicans or even Democrats would would oppose uh, individually. Uh, but because they don't, you know, they want everything to get through because they're trying to buy off votes. They do these omnibus yep. bills, so it's an, so it's an all or nothing, take it or leave it. The same thing I'll th- say on that is, you know, not to get back to the dysfunction of, you know, re- the Republican Party in Congress, but that's a lot of what that fight was about. Mm-hmm. You know, at the very beginning of the year over the speaker, I know, I know Chip Roy and others mm-hmm. uh, were, were highlighting this, Representative Roy, uh, were highlighting this, that, that we're trying to get back to the structural part right. where we actually consider these bills individually, particularly on the spending, consider these things uh, individually. And so for all the, you know, food fight you know, and all the, the, the criticism that, that uh, they received, for that, this was what they were actually trying to fix. Mm. You know, so. this, this is what some of them were trying to fix. Some of them, yeah, yeah. right. Okay, uh, but no, I, I can I completely agree. It's just it's really difficult to see any way forward. And I mean, if it's just you know red team, blue team, mm-hmm. and that's all it's going to be, that's you know I can't see it fixing. But I will say, even for even though the kind of folks that are more strident budget hawks are more likely to vote no in that mm-hmm. scenario. You know, look at it like local bonding, right? You know, if, if you know, whatever ISD wants to have a bond, they're like, wow, you know, we're a fast growth district. We need two new school buildings. Like we have kids are packed to the gills and the ones that we have, we need to build two more. Let's have that discussion. Let's yeah. absolutely do it. All right. And so we're going to put that on a bond and we're also going to put a sports center and a natatorium and a theater on there as well. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. thought we were talking about kids and schools. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh, well, you know, once we have this, I mean, that's other things we can do. It's like, yeah, but that that triples the price of the bond. Yeah. And so the point is, if you want to take hostage. raises your taxes three times as much. Yeah. yeah and, and if you, my, my general philosophy on this is don't negotiate with terrorists. And so if they want to tie those all together, then they just get a, they all get a no and they're going to have to deal with the yeah. political consequences of having overstuffed schools. So in terms of the constitutional question, and we'll, we'll close on this, I, I just think it's a really I think it's a I think it's it's obviously good policy because we're trying to defend the Constitution there mm-hmm. um, and what the what the, the plain words of the Constitution. Uh, I think it's really good policy 
politics as well because it does highlight that this is the issue. I mean, we're not just, you know, the, the, the AG and TPPF and who else is going to join this this lawsuit. You know, we're not just making the point about quorum. I mean, that's not necessarily, you know, although that is an important thing, people need to go to D.C. and do their job. But it also raises the question about how this happened, about the structural changes that need to happen mm-hmm. uh, to hold members accountable for their Absolutely. votes. Um, all right. Well, we are we're not necessarily running out of time, but I didn't want to get to um, uh, an issue that I think is that is really important that doesn't get enough, uh, doesn't get highlighted enough, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, some issues of healthcare. Yes. I mean, we talked a little bit about that earlier, um, particularly this issue of healthcare price transparency, and this basically just means that, like every other thing that you buy, like every other, literally in every other context, uh, you know the price of something before you buy it. So obviously, when you go to a restaurant or you go to the Home Depot or whatever, um, you know and you can compare prices and you can determine um, sometimes just sitting there on your phone shopping around with Amazon or whatever, you know, what, you know, the quality of the item, whether or not you think it's worth that, you know, or whatever. We shop. That's that's like the basics of shopping. You obviously can't do this in healthcare right mm-hmm. now. You you really you really can't uh, do it hardly anywhere. Um, and, the, and then what happens is, uh, you know, we have a story out of Austin. I'll just give you a quick, a quick rundown. Right when COVID started happening and people were scrambling to get COVID tests, and these like pop-up you know clinics were happening and and all of that people everybody trying to get to uh, the clinic to find out if they had had COVID. Now there was a story in the New York Times of all places um, about a about a, a, a couple of friends in Austin and they went together to exactly the same place to get a COVID test. They got the COVID test. A couple of weeks later, they got a bill for it. One was one hundred ninety nine dollars. The other one was over six thousand dollars for the COVID test. Mm. Now that's surprise billing and that. That's the thing that frustrates people to no end is that, you know, if you're talking about uh, procedures when you're sitting down with your doctor and they're telling you, you know, what you need in terms of med- you know, treatment and whatever, um, there needs to be a discussion about the cost of those things so people can have all that information and make the right decisions for them. They're not talking about emergency services. Like nobody is talking about getting in a car wreck um, and having, you know, having your leg amputated and saying, oh, give me a, you know, let me shop on Amazon for, for you know, procedures real quick. Like, you know, nobody's talking about emergency services. We're talking about the vast majority, which is something like over 90% of treatments and procedures are non-emergency. Uh, but, but, but changing the law, changing the process so that consumers, particularly healthcare consumers, have uh, this information uh, and they can compare prices. Um, uh, so the big question is, to you, you know, how do you implement something like this? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you know? Do you think that this is that the insurance companies are going to fight back uh, too, too hard, or you know, what do you think the the way that we push this through? Well, to be honest with you, we already do have a decent amount of coverage for price transparency, but that notwithstanding, is many of the interested market actors are just ignoring it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw a recent right. audit where I believe it was twenty five, twenty seven percent of hospitals uh, in this most recent audit are compliant with the the transparency um, mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's horrific because it, it simply does not allow people to be good consumers of the services that they receive. And, and you know what? I do understand the criticism that this gets that, oh, well, these are, you know, you're basically cracking open private contracts with... Um, you know, Riders between insurance and, yeah. and it's like, and, and, I, and I have some sympathy for that, but that also belies the whole problem. Whereas if you can't give somebody an estimate of what at the very least is going to be coming out of their pocket, mm-hmm. that is essentially market obfuscation. And here I got, I, I don't want to go too much on a tangent here, but I heard one of the dumbest arguments that I've heard in this realm the other day. <laughs> 
And it came from folks on our side. It came from folks, I mean, definitely more libertarian than conservative. But it came from folks where I don't understand. This is more government regulation. You know, compliance is going to increase cost, uh, so on and so forth. And I, you know, my head almost popped off like a rock'em sock'em robot, which I'm sure would cost me uh, $6,000 at least in a copay. But I was taken aback because... There was fidelity to libertarian principles just on that very first blush, mm. you know, not talking about market information, not talking about uh, transparency or anything. But it was like, OK, well, regulation is bad. Therefore, this is bad. Now, the problem is, if that's the case, then any form of market collusion, then it obviously is good then. Right. Why? Why don't we allow for folks to uh, basically to, price, to get together and price fix? You know, why don't we allow folks to get together and basically run these different schemes where the consumer or all this is kept from the consumer and they're end up holding the bag and that is not so to regulate they're saying to regulate those things would, would be bad in, in that well context. the analysis is not even that depth right, it, yeah. it, it is regulation <laughs> equals bad this equals regulation right. ergo this equals bad and so it is the most simplistic view of uh, of any sort of libertarian principle and completely ignorant of what hayek was uh, was writing about about, about basically uh, informational asymmetry and there are still rules in a free market i mean that's what i mean especially like upholding contracts and things like that like there's still rules and regulations so to speak even in a free market yeah it's it's up there with the whole uh you know just build your own social media site you know it's one of the (laughs) ones where it's like i understand the animating principle here and i in in some ways agree with it but you need to have a more in-depth analysis to be taken seriously as an adult discussing these. Also, and I've heard this from our experts all the time, that w- that might make more sense or it might it might be more of a legitimate concern if there was remotely a free market right, right. in healthcare, and there right. clearly is not. I mean, Obamacare, all Obamacare did was was it was engage in a in a, uh, a devil's bargain with the insurance companies to say, look, we're going to heavily, heavily re- regulate you, but the bargain will be we're going to force everyone to buy your product. Are you with me? I mean, that's, you know, that completely completely upended um, even our our dysfunctional healthcare system uh, as it was at the time and it is and it is uh, and and as you've seen mm-hmm. healthcare costs have continued to skyrocket over the past uh, 12 years uh, since Obamacare was passed yeah but you know and I've already heard the 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 apologetics on the Obamacare well you know true Obamacare has never been tried <laughs> much like true communism true socialism has yeah, never exactly. been tried um, well um, so there's there you know the 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 other question is and you and you really hit the nail on the head is that there was some reforms done in the session uh, last year to uh, to at least um, uh, at least build the the law that hospitals had to uh, start to uh, divulge their prices. Mm-hmm. To your point, a lot of them have have decided just to simply ignore the law. Mm-hmm. A lot of hospitals have uh, ignored the law, or the ones that are claimed to be compliant. You go on their websites and you look for prices, and you don't. You actually see any prices. You see a bunch of links to codes that bring you to spreadsheets that you know nobody can read, and that supposedly is their way of right. of, of being compliant. So even that twenty seven percent number is mm. probably even lower than that if you're actually thinking about uh, you know how you go and shop for plane tickets or mm. hotel rooms or anything on Amazon. So right. um, so getting to that point, um, you know, is there are there protections we can have for consumers? I mean, I- I've. <sighs> I'm close approaching the point of wondering if there's a num, you know, a number, a financial number, an actual, a dollar penalty you can assess for non-compliance, where that's going to get everybody's attention equally. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not everybody in the space is equally sized, and there's some that even if you ratchet that, you know, send that number through the roof, are still going to uh, 
ignore the mandates and probably justify that, well, maybe keeping consumers in the dark, I can make more money keeping consumers in the dark about this mm-hmm. than I would have, uh, than I would lose in uh, non-compliance costs, right? Mm-hmm. And and that very well might be the case. So, the, so my suggestion here, and I know many other suggestions would be as well, is make the make the penalties non-financial make them business oriented you know you not just not just anyone can operate in the state of texas but if you wish to operate in the state of texas you need to be in good standing with our laws dictating that practice mm-hmm. one of the um one of the ideas i think is interesting is, is kind of taking it instead of a financial penalty um it is if you know if a consumer asks for for the uh for the the cost and you don't give it to them then when you bill them you can't collect Mm-hmm. And so instead of penalizing them and saying, oh, here's a fine for not doing what we told you to do, mm-hmm. instead it's saying, well, you can't collect on the money. So it's kind of like a financial yeah. – it's still a financial incentive yeah. or an incentive, um, but it's not necessarily a heavy-handed fine. It just says you can't take them to court and you can't sell. And I, I just can't wait to see some of the, uh, some of the, some of the, the creative ideas of getting out of you – know, getting noncompliant with that. We're going to see you – know, it'll be like, oh, knee replacement, uh, you know, like, much like lobster. It's market rate. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't wait for that discussion. <laughs> or even consumers trying to, you know, trying to whisper, you know, hey, can I have the price? Yeah. You know, so, and then, they, you know, whatever. Anyway, it, it'd be interesting to see how they, um, uh, to see how something like that gets, uh, gets, right. you know, implemented and not. But, at, at, but, the, but it's clear without a doubt, um, you know, over 90% of Texans say that, that there should be health care price transparency. Uh, I'm not really sure who the other four or five percent are who say that, you know, there shouldn't be price transparency, perhaps the, that many people own hospitals? Uh, yeah, wow. hospitals or insurance companies or, or what have you. But, of course, it's all of our experience, right? Our experience is, is that no matter where you go, you know the price of something, which gives you that information about, you know, do I need this? Is it the quality, you know, is the quality worth um, what I'm paying for it? Um, and then can help you structure your life and your finances around major, major costs like things like health care. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's shocking that it's not even, you know, even higher than, than 90%. Right. Um, so, anyway, uh, uh, with that... Um, we're coming. Cl- we're coming to a close on our uh, another episode of the Right Idea. Uh, Derek, thank you for being here as always. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. If you want to get in touch with us or give us feedback or tell us, you know, our hot takes and bad jokes are terrible, um, you can get us uh, on Twitter. I'm at Real Beefill, and Derek is at Derek at TPPF. Uh, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching and listening. Uh, and as we always close with, as Sam Houston said, do good and suffer the consequences.